we are looking at number seven in our 12 week series called Launch. We're taking 12 weeks to look at the very beginnings of the early church. And uh, we started by taking a look at the, the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came, empowered the believers there for righteous living and for witness, for telling the gospel to the world. And from there, we talked about boldness. We've talked about Peter describing our life in Christ as brand new. All things are new. We've talked about unity in the church. We've, we've discussed uh, fear um, that came upon the church when Ananias and Sapphira fell down and died because of the offering they brought, but really because they lied about their offering. Um, last week, we talked about forgiveness um, and how um, St Stephen was able to say to those who were stoning him, was able to say to God while it was happening, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Um, really quoting the words of Jesus as he hung on the cross. Um, extreme forgiveness. Well, we're going to kind of continue on in that vein of persecution. Um, this was what Stephen was experiencing. And really this event of Stephen's um, martyrdom really was a spark for some extreme persecution that began to broke uh, that began to break out. And so I want to take a look at um, what took place after Stephen uh, was stoned to death. And I've entitled the message today, Silly Persecution. And I say that not to in any way downplay any persecution anyone has ever experienced. Um, it's not to in any way put down anything you've experienced for your faith or for some other aspect of your life. But what I really want to talk about is really how persecution has a way of of backfiring. It has a way of bringing about the results um, completely opposite than what the persecutors in, intended. And so I've, I've entitled it Silly Persecution. And the first thing we're going to look at here, if you'll turn with me to Acts chapter 8, we're going to begin in verse 1. And my first observation is that persecution shows its ugly face. Persecution has a way of showing its ugly face. Um, it's never fun. It's never pretty. It never feels good. It's always uncomfortable. Uh, it will show its ugly face. And it, sh it does here in Acts 8, verse 1. It says, Now Saul was consenting to his death. This is referring to Stephen. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. This is quite a, a few verses here of a description of really what was taking place. People were um, being persecuted for their faith. Saul, being a ringleader, was walking into houses, dragging men and women who were professing Jesus as Lord and Savior, um, committing them to prison. It says he was wreaking havoc in Jerusalem. Uh, men and women were scattering for fear of their very lives. 
And we've been so blessed in our nation, haven't we? We've been so blessed in our generation of, of the freedom to worship God, the freedom to go into a house of worship, the freedom to start churches, the freedom to go um, out of this country into other nations of the world and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. Um, we've been so blessed. In fact, I want to read a part of the Constitution, the First Amendment, that ensures our rights as Americans to have our religion and our faith. And it says this, um, First Amendment ratified December 15, 1791, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people to peaceful, peaceably to assemble and to a petition to the government for a redress of grievances. You see, we're seeing a lot of things going on right now in our society that is really trying to threaten this freedom of religion, the freedom of speech. There's a lot that can make us feel a little bit um, unarmed as we consider the loss of the freedom to worship God, to proclaim Him, to express our opinion about Him or morality. All of these things feel like they're under attack, and indeed they are. But with the freedom of religion that you and I have experienced over our generation, there is definitely a tendency to fall into apathy. Um, when, when we live in a, in a time and a space when we can say what we want, think what we want, that we can worship God as we want, where we want, we can have a tendency to take it for granted, and an apathy can set in on the proclamation of the gospel. We can grow comfortable. We can grow um, really used to our comfortable lifestyle that allows um, us to, to um, worship God as we want, when we want. But there are some uh, places around the world, in fact, in fact, many places around the world, where the freedom to worship, the freedom to have an opinion, the freedom of speech is not enjoyed. Um, we, in fact, I want to read you a few excerpts from the uh, website you'll find, Voice of the Martyrs, persecution.com. And there's a few descriptions of different nations of the world really describing where persecution is the strongest and is occurring in our world. But I'm going to read this. What does it mean to follow Christ in Yemen? Converting to Christianity from Islam is a crime punishable by death, and families consider it extremely shameful for another family member to become a Christian. Christian converts face harassment, the possibility of losing jobs and family relationships, and potentially death. Christians worship secretly in homes or in small groups outdoors. Bibles can be found in Yemen, but they are difficult to obtain and dangerous for converts to own. For these reasons, many Yemeni believers access the Bible online. Well, what does it mean to be a Christian in China? Let me read it. In the early 2000s, many unregistered churches enjoyed some freedom from government intrusion and harassment despite their illegal status. However, in recent years, restrictive religious regulations and persecution have increased significantly. Hundreds of churches have been forced to close, pastors and church members have been arrested or detained, and the online purchase of Bibles has been prohibited. The government has installed more than 170 million facial recognition cameras, many in or near churches, to identify those who attend worship services. 
Church leaders are under intense pressure to join the government-controlled Christian church. In general, the farther Christians are from Beijing, the more freedom they have. Authorities pressure Christian parents by refusing their children an education. And even the grandchildren of Christians are often denied schooling. Can you imagine trying to be a Christian in China under some of these restrictions? But here's one I really would like to read to you, and that is what does it mean to be a Christian in North Korea? Decades of rule by the oppressive regime currently led by Kim Jong-un has forced Christians to worship in underground settings. The communist-inspired dictatorship is founded upon Jushi, a distinct North Korean religious ideology that requires worship and subservience to the Kim family. Christianity is considered subversive and is brutally opposed. Anyone discovered to be a Christian or to express any interest in Christ or the Bible is considered an enemy of the state. Christians are sent to prison and labor camps where they are starved, overworked, and tortured. The government's requirement that all North Koreans act as informants applies even to families as children are taught to spy on their parents from a young age. Therefore, North Korean Christians must be extremely careful in what they say, what they do, and even how they pray. When a Christian is discovered, the government punishes the entire family in order to incentivize reporting. Despite the threat of persecution and heavy social pressure, Christians in North Korea hold firmly to their faith Christian and secular analysts estimate that about 30,000 Christians are currently suffering in prison and labor camps for their faith. So if you were to live in one of these areas or many others around the world, you would have no idea what it means to have the First Amendment. You'd have no idea what it means to enjoy a freedom of religion, a freedom of speech, a freedom to declare who Jesus is. You'd have no idea what that even means. I want to define persecution for you. It means hostility and ill treatment, especially because of race or political or religious beliefs. Um, a, a, another um, definition is persistent annoyance or harassment. Now, persecution can look differently um, given a person's context or their experience or their maturity. Um, persecution really does depend on where you live and what kind of uh, experience you have and whether you have a, a spiritual maturity to take on different aspects of people who are harassing or trying to remove your right or your ability to have a, a worship of God. Persecution is always unpleasant. It's never fun. It's always not enjoyable, regardless of the level or the context in which you're persecuted. But the question is, is persecution always bad? It's never enjoyable. It's always unpleasant. But the question is, is it always bad? Well, I want to look, take a little bit further look in the scriptures and find out what happened in the face of persecution that was going on here after Stephen was uh, stoned for his faith. Acts 8 verse 4 says this, and we're going to see that persecution ignites passion. Persecution ignites passion. Let's read this. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Verse 4 here says that as these 
people who were scattered abroad, running for their lives, they went forward with a desire and a follow through on preaching the word. With freedom of religion runs the risk of apathy towards the gospel, as we've already said, an apathy towards the Great Commission. But there's this dynamic that happens in the face of persecution for those who love God and will not back down in the face of persecution. And that is this, that when you are told that you can't have this or you can't believe this or you can't say this, human nature would bid us to do the exact opposite. When you have something that you believe to be right and someone tells you you can't do it or have it, you naturally want to buck that system and you will go forward. And therefore, persecution often ignites a passion in true believers' hearts. Human nature in raw form would say when you lose something, the loss of something often produces a passion to have it. And this happens um, over, the, over our faith. When we are told our faith is not allowed, that has a way of igniting a passion within us to serve Jesus all the more. All these people who were experiencing persecution to the point where they were scattered, they engage in the very thing that was bringing on their persecution. More preaching. They were preaching. They were praying for people. They were seeing God heal them. They were told they can't do it. People were being thrown in prison. They go out. They're scattered. And yet they preach again. They keep doing the very thing that's getting them in trouble. Generally speaking, we can stop persecution anytime we want by simply giving in to the, what the persecutors want. If the persecutors are saying you can't believe in Jesus, you can't preach the gospel, you can't pray for people. Well, if you just say, okay, I'm not going to believe in Jesus and I'm not going to preach and I'm not going to pray for people, the persecution will probably go away. They think they've won and it sounds like they probably did. But what happens is we have a tendency to say, you know what? I believe in Jesus. I love him. He died on a cross for me. I believe in him with all my heart. And now you're telling me I can't have that. And then that's when the passion to preach, the passion to talk even more, the passion to tell people about the good news of Jesus Christ comes alive. People are often willing to endure persecution when they are told they can't worship God, especially when they know, when they know that God personally, when they have a personal relationship with Him, and now it's being denied. When they were scattered, they kept on preaching. Why? Because an, uh, persecution ignites a passion. But as we keep reading, we're going to find here is that persecution will lose. Perse persecution loses. It doesn't have an option because the persecution, especially against the Christian church, is fighting against God himself. And the Lord will not be defeated even by persecution. And let's read what happens as we continue on in Acts chapter 8. Verse 5 says this, Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed, um, and lame were healed, and there was great joy in that city." 
This is a description of revival. This is a description of persecution backfiring. This is a description when people were told that they are not allowed to believe in Jesus. They're scattered and they go and they see revival take place. We're seeing that those who are possessed by evil spirits are released from that. People who are paralyzed and lame were healed. There's great joy in the city, even in the midst of persecution. Because when your heart, when your soul is released, when you understand what Jesus Christ did to you, and all of a sudden you understand the ramifications for all of eternity for you, it doesn't matter what's happening to your earthly body. It doesn't matter what's happening here on earth because you are looking forward to what's coming. And even in the middle of persecution, it says there was great joy in that city. Why? Why is it that persecution brings upon this revival? Because it ignites a passion. We already said that this passion cannot be stopped. The hope of the enemy in persecution, when he's unleashing and calling governments and others to persecution, People are scared and they deny Christ. That's what they're hoping for. And it works for some. Some are scared and some will deny Christ. But for others, it ignites a passion. They hope that it will silence the church. They hope that the church will will just shrink back and not talk anymore, not believe anymore, dissipate. And maybe for some it is successful. However, persecution backfires and brings about revival nearly every time. I want to also note that persecution is temporary. We might uh, experience persecution for a time, maybe even for the rest of our lives, but it still is only temporary. I want to read what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. He says this, Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So as we have these momentary troubles, the NIV talks about momentary and light troubles. Even though it might seem like death itself, even though it seems intimidating and scary, even though it seems like your rights are being ripped away, I want to remind you that it is light and momentary in light of eternity. I also want to read about what we're looking forward to. I want to read a description about the afterlife, about what you and I can look forward to. What, this is what ignites a passion. This is what brings us alive, even in the face of persecution. It's the hope that we have. Let's read what Revelation 21 verses 3 and 4 says. It says, And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. 
God himself will be with them and their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Isn't that a beautiful thought? This is a description of what you and I look forward to. Regardless of the persecution and the the troubles that you and I face, even for our faith in Christ, it is for what is described there. A place where there is no more crying, where there is no more death, where there is no more fear. It is why people are willing to die for their faith. The hope of glory, the hope of eternal life. And you know what? That description is so real for you and for me. It is something that you can count on. And it's so much that you, it, you can count on it for your friend. You can count on it for the one who doesn't know him. You can count on it for your neighbor. And that is why when persecution erupts against you, when it erupts against your faith, when it erupts against your church, you can hold on to the hope that there is coming a day when there is no more crying, there is no more death, There is no more fear. That's what we look forward to. So as we conclude, I just got a couple questions for you. Are you in a place right now experiencing some level of persecution? Something at work? Maybe it's a tension at home with your spouse. Maybe it's your kids who uh, haven't followed along and they just think you just are some crazy religious nut. Um, Maybe it's something more significant. Maybe you have posted something online and you just got ripped upside down and and, uh, you don't know how to respond to it. And you're just feeling, man, what good is my faith? I want to encourage you, regardless of your level of persecution and what you're experiencing, to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus in the middle of it. Have you experienced a renewed passion in the face of persecution? Maybe you did post that thing and you did get ripped for it, but that only ignited something inside of you that you just said, man, these people are lost. They need to hear the truth. I want to encourage you to keep praying and keep that passion alive. Can you view your persecution through the lens of eternity? Can I encourage you, if you are feeling persecuted for your faith right now, that you would have your eyes fixed on eternity? Do you remember how it was described last week when we talked about Stephen and he was right on the verge of having that first rock thrown at his head and he was able to look up to heaven and he saw the heavens open up. He was able to keep his eyes fixed even to the point where he would say, forgive these people, they don't know what they're doing as he went to be with God. Keep your eyes, your your lenses focused on eternity. I want to encourage you to say, silly persecution. You're going through something tough, but it's ridiculous that the enemy would throw that at you because all it's doing is igniting a passion. It's igniting a fervency. It's igniting a, a passion for your faith that will not be quelched, that cannot be broken. And even as the persecution comes, your passion is going to get even stronger. So I want to encourage you today, if you're going through something that feels like persecution, oh, you may not be getting ripped out of your house at this point, but you're feeling some level of persecution. Keep your eyes on Christ and watch that passion burn. Let's pray for a revival. Lord, I thank you, God, that we read in your word how the church 
was under extreme persecution. Lord God, my friends that are watching right now, Lord, they also may be experiencing some level of persecution on a personal level. God, maybe their church is going through something. God, maybe there's just something, God, they're facing. Lord God, I pray that you would give them strength today and that you would just ignite this passion, this faithfulness inside of them. Lord, that they would desire to keep praying and keep preaching the good news of Jesus. Lord God, I also pray right now for the millions of Christians around the world, God, who do not know what the First Amendment, right, Amendment rights that we have mean. Lord, those who are currently underground, Lord, they, they can't even tell their kids for fear of what may happen to them as they talk about Jesus. I pray, God, that you would strengthen the church that's persecuted all around the world. We pray, God, that there would be revivals breaking out, Lord, in the darkest of places. Lord God, the places where your word has been stifled, where they've attempted to, to put a cap on your church, I just pray God, that you would just use those brothers and those sisters, oh Lord, in the midst of their persecution. Lord, we trust you. We put our hope in you alone. In Jesus' name.